Well, it's been quite a week, and uh, for those who were here on Wednesday, we had the, the huge honour of hosting uh, the celebration of Marion's life and faith as we uh, had the funeral and the time together afterward. And uh, the family wanted me to pass on their um, real genuine thanks uh, for everyone in the church family who assisted with hosting that event. It was just a wonderful occasion as we celebrated Marion's life together. But then yesterday I went to an event which, which was actually fairly similar, um, but this time it was hosted at Nolamara Church of Christ and it was my father-in-law's 80th birthday. And uh, it's interesting having a week where we had the funeral on Wednesday and a significant birthday on the Saturday. And it reminded me of a verse that I've mentioned before and it's a verse I think is really striking. It comes from uh, King Solomon, it's uh, written in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and it says this, it's better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies, so the living should take this to heart. And in a week where I had a party and a funeral, and both were wonderful, it's kind of interesting to reflect on that verse. Those events had a lot in common. Uh, they were both hosted by church families who did an outstanding job of welcoming in uh, extended family and immediate family and friends of the person whose life was being celebrated. And the churches very generously and uh, faithfully and servant-heartedly kind of hosted those events. And they were both really uplifting. There was great food, which as we know um, is one of my love languages. Um, there was great fellowship and even you know, though I might be more of a, a quiet person and, and an introvert, um, it's really great when you catch up with people and you find out how they're going and, and those you haven't spent uh, time with recently and it's just a really wonderful thing to be able to do that. There were wonderful speeches at both of those events that were honest and realistic but uplifting and affirming and celebrating of all the good things that God had done in those two people's lives. And from both of those events, I went away really encouraged and inspired and thankful to God. And God was very much at the centre of the lives that we were celebrating at both of those events. So why is it that Solomon uh, has these words recorded in Scripture that we trust were not only just Solomon's thinking, that they were actually the words that was being prompted in him through the Holy Spirit, saying that it is better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. What makes the funeral better than the party? Well, thankfully, he explains in the verse, because it prompts us to take our own mortality to heart. And it prompted me to do a survey of the New Testament letters uh, this week. And I was just kind of cycling through in my mind and flicking to some familiar passages. And as I thought about passages in 1 and 2 Corinthians and 1 and 2 Thessalonians and 2 Timothy and 1 John and 2 Peter and, and Jude, and I thought of all of these passages which are basically doing exactly that. I noticed that the apostles who wrote those letters were constantly wanting to remind people of our own mortality, our short span of life on this earth. And what it means to live as people who are expecting to meet Jesus. But these are heavy things to contemplate as well, aren't they? But the question they want us to consider over and over again in Scripture is this one. How can I make sure that I'm ready to meet Jesus? Is that something you think about very often? Has it come across your radar this week? In the busyness of work and all the stuff going on in your relationships and whatever hobbies or interests you might have pursued or whatever TV shows you might have watched or whatever was on your social media feed or whatever was going on for you, whatever filled up your week, did this question make its way onto your agenda, I wonder? How can I be sure that I'm ready to meet Jesus? Well, according to Ecclesiastes 7, 
and according to the apostles who wrote our New Testament, this is actually a vital question for us to consider. I closed our time together on Wednesday with a benediction, which is at the end of a letter written by Jude, the brother of Jesus. And I'd like us to look at the verses that are just before that benediction as we get a bit of a sense of what the apostles have to say to us and as he reminds us of what the apostles have to say about this subject. So if you'd like to turn there in your own Bibles, we're going to turn... Jude doesn't have chapters. It's not long enough for that. Um, It's uh, just got verses. So Jude 17... Uh, to 19 we're going to start looking at as uh, it gets to the end of his brief letter to Christians. And uh, these uh, verses give us a bit of the sense of what's going on in Jude's letter so far. He writes this, But you, dear friends, remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you in the end time there will be scoffers living according to their own ungodly desires. And these people create divisions and are worldly, not having the spirit. So just to fill you in before we get to the bit that is going to address the question I raised earlier, Jude's been talking about some stuff that has crept into the churches that he is familiar with. Um, There'd been some persecution. A lot of the Christians who were initially based in Jerusalem have gone to all parts. And as they get feedback back of what's going on in those churches, they're aware there's some troubling things starting to creep into those churches. So Jude, in his letter, has been contrasting the faith that was delivered once and for all to the saints through Christ's apostles, the one he personally trained and commissioned for that task, with what is being introduced by some of these false teachers and scoffers that undermines and takes people away from that faith which was uh, established through Jesus and communicated by his apostles. And the apostles, as Jude contrasts them to these false teachers and scoffers, are men who had personally witnessed the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. They'd heard him promise to return as he ascended back to heaven. And they testified about his resurrection despite intense pressure to stop doing so, very frequently at the cost of their own lives. And the Apostle Paul called himself the least of them because unlike those other ones who had been with Jesus in his earthly ministry, who had witnessed his death and his, uh, seen him after his resurrection and seen him return to heaven, uh, Paul wasn't a part of that group. In fact, he was one of the people who was persecuting those who were proclaiming this stuff. He was one of the ones putting Christians in jail and trying to squash the message about Jesus' resurrection and his ascension and his promised return. But he talks about himself as being like one abnormally born because he had an encounter with the risen Jesus, the one who he'd been persecuting. Um, And Jesus instructed him and said, okay, so instead of being one of the people who are trying to stop this message and to persecute those who are spreading it, I want you to become one of the messengers. And Paul was in a very unusual case and became one of these apostles. And Jude, the brother of Jesus, points back to these men whose lives were all transformed by the resurrection of Jesus, who had all received power from the Holy Spirit to testify boldly about Jesus at the cost of their own comfort and convenience and security. And he compares them to this group that's come in, these scoffers, who live for their own comfort and convenience and security. Peter also spoke about these scoffers as people who deliberately reject, who deliberately forget the reality of God's judgment so they can focus on worldly pleasures. And you can read about that in 2 Peter 3. Paul also speaks about them to Timothy as people who find eager listeners among them who want to do the same thing. And he writes that in 2 Timothy from chapters 2 to 4. 
The Apostle John describes these people as antichrists and urges us to not just listen to what people say, but observe carefully how they live. So all of the apostles in their letters to the churches and to individual Christians warn us to pay attention to who we're listening to and who we are allowing to influence how we think and how we live, just as Jude has been doing in his letter to the churches. And I think it's worth us pausing before we answer the question, as Jude directs us in a couple of moments, to think about whose influence we are willing to take into our lives. Because that's what this whole letter is about. That's the context that we are reading from. It was really precious on Wednesday to have a couple of Bible readings. And uh, if you're here, you'll know they were read from Marion's own Bible that she read every day. She developed the discipline of those quiet times with the Lord, and it served her well in her life. But guess what? None of us needs to develop a discipline to be influenced by scoffers. They will worm their way into your life in the same way that they wormed their way into those early churches. And that's why the apostles warn us so consistently about the influences that we are allowing into our lives and into our churches. So, being aware of the context where Jude is saying to us, watch out, there are people who are trying to take you in this direction, stay true to what the apostles have told you about your faith and your life, how are we going to listen to those apostles' message about making sure that we're ready to meet Jesus? Let's look at how simply Jude goes on to answer that question. But you, dear friends... As you build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. As people who have had our own mortality put on our agenda, as uncomfortable as that might make us, and as much as we might be tempted to be like the scoffers and say, well, let's just put that out of mind, let's just live for now, uh, the apostles are saying to us, no, fix your thoughts and set your heart on the things that are eternal. Make sure this makes a difference to you. Consider this. You will be better off for it. So what are we being told uh, that we need to do in order to be ready for eternity, in order to um, take our own mortality seriously? Well, there's only one command. They might think, well, there's four things that are written there. There's only one actual command. I wonder if you can spot what it is. Well, it's the beginning of verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. There we go. This is what Jesus asked his very first disciples to do in John 15. Remember what he said to them when he talked about the vine and the branches? He said, abide in my love. This, this is the heart of the gospel. It's what we sang about before communion. For God so loved the world. How do we know that we're going to be ready to meet Jesus when he returns? Well, it's simply this. He loves you. He's coming for you. He wants you to be looking forward to meeting him. You don't have to do anything. He's actually done it for you. You don't have to earn God's love. You can't qualify yourself to belong to his kingdom. Jesus has taken the initiative. Romans 5.8 talks about it like this. God proves his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't have to make ourselves more palatable to God, more desirable, more worthy of his affection. No, he loved us at our very worst. Just receive it. Stay in it. Peter talks about it like this in 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to do what? That he might bring you to God. It's not a case of I have to get myself ready for God. Jesus did it all for me. He loves me. 
He's dealt with my sin. He's done everything needed to bring me to God. All we have to do is keep ourselves in the love that we've already been given. And that's why Jude is writing. He's noticing that there are false teachers coming in who are getting people to live contrary to this basic gospel message, and he's alarmed by it. He wants people to stay in the love of Christ. But how do we do that? And that's where those other things come in. They're technically known as participles. And if you don't know what that is, I didn't know either. So, um, but basically what that is, is they're the, they're the describing words that tell us how to do the thing we've been told to do. So what have we been told to do? We've been told to stay in God's love. Don't run away from it. Don't reject it. Don't think that you need to do something to add to it. Stay in the love which is able to bring you into God's eternal family. Jesus has done it all. Uh, remember that old hymn? Um, he's done it all, all to him I owe. There's nothing left that I need to do. Jesus has done it all. He's paid the price for us. But how do we stay in that love? There are three things that describe what that actually looks like and feels like, what the behaviour is that accompanies that. So let's step through them as they were listed there in those verses. Number one, we can keep ourselves in the love that we've been given in Jesus by building ourselves up in our most holy faith. That's what Jude's letter is all about. He says, you know, I was going to write to you about different aspects of the salvation that we share, but I felt I needed to write to you to just remind you of what the apostles of Jesus have already told you. Build yourself up in what God's apostles have already given you as the faith. And Jude describes it in these words, once for all delivered to the saints. You know, we don't need to invent more stuff around it. We've been given everything we need to know. So build yourselves up in that. Read the Bible. Study it for yourself. Invest that time. You won't be sorry. And that was one of the things that we loved reflecting on for, for Marion, that, that 6.30 routine, getting up and reading the word. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. Be part of an active community of people who are seeking to understand and apply the scriptures. We've been designed to need each other. Read Ephesians 4 if you want to learn more about that. as just one of the many passages that speak to it. Listen to a variety of trustworthy teachers. Why do you reckon we have four Gospels? Does any of you just read John's Gospel and ignore Mark and Luke and Matthew? No. We need to have a variety of voices who are all faithfully pointing us to Jesus because while he is perfect none of us are and we all represent different shades and different aspects of the beautiful grace of God and we we see that reflected in different authors and in different teachers and in different types of churches all in different ways so take on board the wonderful varieties of ways that God has equipped his people to speak into your lives don't get hung up on any particular teacher don't make your loyalty to any style of teaching or any type of church. Um, be very, very wary whenever any group says, we've got the truth and the others are all going to hell. You know, just don't go there. Don't participate in that. Yes, like Jude has been very open about, there are scoffers. There are false teachers. Don't be so open-minded that your brains fall out is one of those slogans. I think a parent of mine told me or something. It's a good proverb, all right? It's not in the Bible as far as I know, but it's, it's a wise saying. So, so what do we do to make sure we're listening to a wide variety so that they're reflecting all of the manifold wisdom of God, which is what Peter says, but yet not being led astray and being led away from Jesus? Well, that's what Jude's been writing about. You've got the words of the apostles for yourself. 
Don't listen just to what one person says about what the apostles said. You compare what that person says to what the apostles gave you, and it's recorded in scriptures. You take what this group says and you compare it to the scriptures yourself. Trust what the apostles have given us. Don't let any person or group of people determine the nature of your faith. That's what Jude is on about. Come back to what the apostles have given us. Let the word be the authority for you. And emulate trustworthy spiritual parents and peers. That's one thing John emphasises in his letter. He says, watch how people walk. If they're not living in obedience to Jesus, why would you take on board anything that they're teaching? So we can't get to know everybody, but you can get to know some. Get to know some people who are going to be trustworthy and allow them to speak into your life. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. That's the first way that we stay in the love of Jesus, that you cultivate that rich relationship with him. You build yourself up in your most holy faith. Now, that's mostly talking about what we know. And what we know matters. It affects how we live our lives. As Paul explained to the Romans, uh, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's That's a great place to start. But that's not all we do. It's not just about what we know. Because if it's only about knowledge, we're going we're gonna to be in a very poor place. Uh, it's got to translate into our experience of life. And that's what uh, Jude addresses next when he says, pray in the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? Some of you might be feeling a bit nervous. Does that mean I have to you know, speak in other languages? Or you know, what, what does that actually look like? Well, it's actually really simple. What did Jesus tell his apostles about the Holy Spirit? John 15 that I referred to earlier where he says abide in my love, that's nestled in passages which are speaking about the role of the Holy Spirit because that's what the Holy Spirit is for. It's the personal presence of Jesus in our lives. He reminds us and teaches us and empowers us and comforts us and encourages us, guides us, intercedes for us, convicts us of our sins so that we can uh, confess and be restored. The Holy Spirit is within us doing all of that amazing stuff. And praying in the Holy Spirit means that we don't pray to God as some sort of ritualistic thing or something that earns us special merit. Praying in the Spirit simply means that we, we talk with God. Because we recognize there's a real personal connection. We learn to listen to those promptings that we get from him. We get to expect that he's really interested in us, not just because of what we do for him, but because of who we are to him. There's a relationship that is real. And that's what we want our prayer life to be characterized by. When do you not pray? Well, scriptures tell us to pray without ceasing. Uh, There's a relationship that you have been brought into where you can constantly be praying in the Holy Spirit. And that's what Peter is inviting, sorry, Jude in this occasion, (laughs) what Jude is inviting us into. This relationship with God where we are always in communion with him. Speaking to him, listening to him, knowing that we are connected to him. It's not just something we know about God, it's the God we are known by and we are getting to know as we relate to him. So that's the second thing that we do to stay in the love of Jesus. The final thing that Jude talks to us about is that we should wait expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. And this is what Solomon was talking about, and this is what uh, that sense of, well, what is it that being confronted with our own mortality does for us? In a culture that is dominated by promises of instant gratification, this one is actually quite tough. 
How can you wait expectantly for something that was promised 2,000 years ago? Doesn't it kind of slip off your radar a little bit? Aren't there more pressing things that you're going to be thinking about? But why does it also talk about Jesus' coming as being a mercy? As though it's something we need from him. Well, it's because nothing in this world can actually satisfy us. We were made for God. We are only satisfied in God. And until we are home with him, our souls are restless. And, and don't you feel that restlessness sometimes? Don't you feel that weight of living in this world where you just go, I'm pretty sure this isn't how it's meant to be. This isn't how my body is meant to work and this isn't how I'm meant to feel and this isn't how I'm meant to act and this, is, this isn't what I should be uh, being treated like by other people and this isn't the kind of things that ought to be going on uh, in relationships and between countries and you see all this stuff and you just go, oh, well, we weren't made for this. And when Jesus returns and makes all things new, that's a really good thing. The Bible says all creation groans in bondage waiting to be liberated, waiting to be set free. You were made for something that you don't yet have. And I hope that comforts you when you're just feeling like, what is wrong with me? This, uh, it's not working. I hope it stops you from throwing yourself into all these kind of endless pursuits of trying to make life okay and satisfy yourself because you're not actually going to get what you really need until you're at rest in him. And knowing that helps you to persevere through it because it's not forever. The end date is coming. Jesus will return. You'll go to be with him and you will be liberated. You will receive his mercy when his salvation is completed. You see, scoffers, the ones that Jude's been talking about, they want to separate us from the love of God and these things that he has given us in Jesus by stopping us from doing those three things, stopping us from building ourselves up in our most holy faith, of having that constant prayer life through the Holy Spirit and waiting expectantly for Christ's return. Part of the reason whoops, there we go, that, va- that our funerals are valuable is they remind us of what awaits us. There is eternal life with God or there is eternal separation from God. Don't focus on the here and now as if eternity is not waiting. Don't be robbed of eternal joy. And don't let putting eternity out of your mind rob you of the joy that you could have right now. You know, as I think about those times in my life where I've been persuaded, because of usually my own stupidity, but there's other reasons as well, maybe it was peer pressure or or other things going on, when I've actually deliberately decided to not do what God says and to live in different ways, when I haven't been content to remain in his love, but I've sought satisfaction and and, ambition or recognition or other things that didn't fit with, with staying content in Jesus, whenever I've done that, I've always regretted it. Nothing has ever been worth rejecting the love of Jesus. Nothing has ever been worth, as the Bible says, quenching the Holy Spirit instead of keeping in step with the Spirit. Whatever the experience was, whatever the payoff was in the moment that the scoffers say, hey, this is what life's all about, whatever that's been for me, it's been garbage compared to the joy I have when I'm actually remaining in Christ's love until he returns and makes all things new. Please don't let yourself be robbed by following the people that Jude warns us against, by following the stuff inside you that pulls you in that direction at times. Keep yourself 
in the love of Jesus. You don't have to do anything to get it. It's yours. Just stay in it. Stay in it by growing in the faith that's been given to us and that we have faithfully recorded to us in the scriptures. Praying in the spirit, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. What difference will it make for you to have considered your mortality today as we did on Wednesday? I think it'll make your life richer. I think it'll prepare you for a day that is going to be immeasurably joyful. Let's pray.